get relationships right, you must get your foundation right. This message is the second in the series, Friends. The message is entitled, Foundations, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to today's message. I want to continue in the series we started last weekend called Friends. We're going to be talking about friendships over the next several weeks and really all relationships of life. Uh, friendships really relate to marriage and family, parenting. It relates to uh, the way that you work with your co-workers, your neighborhood involvement. All of these things are part of your life. And so we're going to talk about how do you improve, how do you grow your friendships from God's Word's perspective, from the perspective of the Bible. And by the way, the best relationship manual you will ever study is the Bible. The Bible tells you how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. The Bible is a relational book. In fact, the whole cross of Jesus points out the relationship of God to us, God to man, us to, to God, and to one another. The vertical cross representing our relationship with God, and horizontally the representation of how Jesus Christ makes a difference in the way we, we relate to the people around us. Now, last weekend we started talking about some foundations because uh, to understand friendships or anything in life, to build well, you have to start with the right foundations. And so I want to continue in that theme because you can only build as strong as your foundations are. We talked last week about some of those foundations. I shared with you three of them. And today I told you I was going to focus our attention on the foundation of true love, what true love really is and what it's all about. Jesus helped us to understand the foundations of relationships and a very important statement that he gave us in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 29, down through verse 31. And I want to read that for you and just listen as I read. It may be on your notes. It certainly will be on the screen. So let me read it for you. And let's all start there from the words of Jesus together today. The most important one, that is the most important commandment, answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, or the second great commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. One day when Jesus was ministering to a group of people, there was a gentleman that asked him a question, what's the most important commandment of all? What's the most important thing, Jesus, that we should always remember? And Jesus said, it's really simple. In fact, he went back to the Old Testament, what's called the Shema of the Old Testament of the law, and said, here's what you're to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus, in essence, said to us, the most important way to live life is to live a life based in, what's the word there? Love. Love God. Love others. And have a proper love for yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You really can't love other people if you hate yourself. You have to learn some things about how God has made you and have an awareness and appreciation of who God has made you to be. And then you can love other people well, not with an arrogance or a pride or egocentric kind of way, but because you realize that you've been made by God to be able to contribute through your life to the people around you. And I described for you last week uh, how it is to work. A little bit of a review. We, we drew a triangle. And at the top, we put God here. And then here, is, here you are. And you have this proper understanding of who you are, who God has made you to be. And then 
other people that you have relationships with. It might be your husband, your wife, your kids, any other relationship in your life that are part. This is the other parts of uh, people in your life. And the way that life works best is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, okay? So your focus is on your relationship with God, okay? And so you're going toward God with all your heart. And then what you want to do in life, the best scenarios of life, is that you hook up with other people, you connect with, build relationships with other people who are going in the same direction that you are going, amen? You're, they're going toward God, they're pursuing God, and what happens is in, these, in, in the dynamic of the two of you, okay, or you and other people, there's a continuing gap that is filled here and a closeness that develops over time by the fact that you're pursuing God together. So the closer you get to God, the closer you get to one another. That's the simplest equation you will ever see when it comes to relationships. That's why the people you have in your life are very important who you choose to have around you. It's why your marriage, uh, your spouse is very important. Your friends are very important. You want to find people that are going in the direction that you are going. So we're talking about foundationally what makes relationships work. And the word again is love. That's what makes it work. Now, to really understand the foundations of relationships and the fact that love is the key ingredient to having good relationships, loving God, loving ourselves, and loving others, it's important that we understand what love is. Now, here's the problem. You, you, you can't develop something if you don't understand it, if you can't define it. And so we have to start with a definition. So again, foundationally, what does the word love mean to you? Whether you realize it or not, all of us have been formed by, affected by, impacted by the definitions of love around us. How the culture defines love, how media portrays love. And so what happens unbeknownst to us is this concept, this sort of cultural concept of love, this worldly concept of love filters into our thinking. And more than we realize that we began, even as Christian believers, sadly, to define love the way the world defines love. And let me tell you how the world defines love. The world defines love as the basics of an attraction you have toward another person, a passion that you might have toward someone, a chemistry that you feel with someone. It might be a, 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 something that you are able to describe that you fall into and fall out of. People talking about falling into love and falling out of love. And they use all these kind of descriptors. And all of these descriptors have one thing in common. They're all based in a key word here, called feelings. I love you because I'm attracted to you. I love you because I feel passion when I'm around you. I love you because I have, we have chemistry. I love you because I fell in love with you. That is, I had these emotions that overwhelmed me and brought me into relationship with you. And you know what? I don't really have any control over it. I, I can't control who I love and who I don't love. It's just sort of stuff that happens. I feel it or I don't. And so more than we realize it, far more than we realize it, we are very much infected with the wrong definition of love. And I say that it's wrong only because we don't bring into bear the awareness of how God defines love. Because God defines love differently. God is not against feelings. Okay? 
God doesn't say you can't have feelings of attraction and passion and those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with those feelings. But those feelings are not love. That's not love. Those feelings are feelings. Profound, huh? Nothing wrong with the feelings, but they are feelings. They're not love. So never ever confuse feelings with love. They're two different things. Now, the feelings of love come in different forms. I'll give you just a few words here. We're, I'll give you some Greek words here. Eros, you know the word because it relates to sensual uh, attraction. We get our word erotic from it. Philos is, we get the word Philadelphia from that word. Brotherly love is the idea. So it's the kind of friendship love that we have. And then the Bible, Jesus introduced another word for love that goes beyond certainly the eros. That's the physical, sensual attraction that people have. Philos, which is the, uh, the attraction of friendship and, and some levels of familiarity that you have with people. But Jesus comes on the scene and he introduces another word to us about, about love or that defines love. And that is the word agape. Say that with me. And agape is the God kind of love. It is the highest form of love that exists. And it is a form of love that exists far beyond feelings. It's a love that exists on the basis of your attitudes and on the basis of your actions. Now, according to Scripture, according to Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the New Testament, this agape love relates to two things. It relates to being a commitment to someone, okay? That is, I love you not on the basis of what I feel about you in any particular moment. Because my feelings about you are going to change based upon my mood or what you're doing on a particular day. If I like it or I don't, my feelings are going to go like this all the time. That's just the nature of feelings. And so real, the highest form of love is, again, not based in this, but is based in this idea of or concept of commitment. There's nothing higher than a strong commitment that you make to another person to consider, always consider their best interests. That's what, the, that's what love is, the love of God, agape, is to always consider the best interest of another person. Not your interest, but the best interest of another person. Jesus said it this way in the Golden Rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And so real love is I'm committing to do to you what I would really want you to do for me in my life. And so I'm not thinking about me, I'm thinking about you and I'm committed to you, not on the basis of what rides up and down. And we also understand that this agape is not just a commitment we engage in, but it is a commandment or a command from God that we obey. We are actually commanded to love. And here is the good news. When you begin to understand that real love is not this, but it's this, you can love people you don't even like. It's amazing. You may not like them, but you can still love them because love isn't based upon whether you like them or not. Love is based upon a commitment to their best interests, no matter what, you, what you're feeling at any point in time. And it is a commitment to obey 
God's command to be a loving person and to live a loving life. Let's look at some of these commands. John chapter 15, verse number 12, Jesus' words, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So what was the commandment of Jesus? Love each other. 1 John 4, 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to, there's the command, ought to love one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, Over all these virtues put on, this is a commandment, not a suggestion, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we could go on and on describing these different commands in Scripture, but what you need to see here is that you are commanded to love. You and I are commanded to agape. So this word is not a feeling. It acts, it's not a noun. It is a verb. Love is something you do. Okay. Love is not something you feel. Love is something you do. And so the Bible commands us to live to love others with this true love that is based upon commitment. Now, think about this for a moment. If you begin to redefine love in your mind this way, instead of it's not a feeling I have, it's a commitment I make, then it would change practically every part of your life. It's not something I feel, it's something I do. Love is not something I get, love is something I give. Now, I want you to get this definition because what, what, what we're doing here is working against the mindset of the world that has saturated the way that we think. So love is something, not something I feel, it is something I do, it is not something I get, it is something I give. Let's do that again. Love is not something I feel, it's something I do, it is not something I get, it is something I give. Now that changes everything. In all of your relationships of life, if you begin to think that way, you know what? Love is not something I feel, it's something I do. And love is not something I get, love is something I give. Then suddenly a, a vast new world opens up to you of possibilities. Now, let me say this before we move on into today's message. Anytime God ever gives you a commandment, He will always give you the power to obey it. When God says love, He will give you the ability to do it if you will do your part. Now, you can't refuse to do your part and then expect to experience it, but you have to do your part. But if you'll do your part, God will make sure that you, that you are empowered to do the very thing He asks you to do. Now, what is your part? Your part is to begin to look at, understand what the actions of love are. What are the actions of love? Because love is not something I feel. It's something I do. It is not something I get. It is something I give. And so if I begin to understand what the actions of love look like, then I begin to practice those actions. I do what I can do to practice the actions that define love. And God, when I choose by my will to do the actions, God then says, I will give you the power to do what you can't do. Let's use an example of this. The Bible says that you're even to love your enemies, right? Now, I tell you, that's, that, in the natural realm, that's impossible. To find someone who's really hurt you or damaged you in some way and to return love to them, there is no way that human beings can do that. 
But what you can do is say, God, you have told me in your word to love my enemies. And one of the ways that I can love my enemies is to pray for them, right? And bless them. And so I began, that's something I can do, right? I may not feel love to them, but I can pray for them. Now, here's how most of the times we'll pray. Oh, God, send down fire from heaven and destroy them, okay? God says, no, 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 no. Remember, I said the blessed part. I didn't say curse. So pray for them and bless them. So, God, I don't want to do this, but bless them in Jesus' name. Bless them. And you pray through clenched teeth sometimes, right? Anybody ever prayed through clenched teeth before? Okay. But before long, the more you're, you're praying blessing, the more God begins to change your heart. And before long, you're praying genuine prayers of blessing upon them because God gives you the power to do what you can't do when you will do what you can do, okay? And that's how love works. Love is not some mystical thing. It's not some somebody comes along with a magical love wand and goes, wham, and you're like, pooh, I'm loving. No, you take the actions of love and begin to practice them, and then God gives you the power. And what happens really is this, because really the highest degree of love is not even your actions. It's transform, transformation of your character. So it's not just you're doing the action of love. You're actually becoming a loving person. That's what you want to be. So as you practice the actions of love, it begins to transform you on the inside. And before long, you live. You walk in love and you live in love because you've practiced the actions of love and the power of the Holy Spirit for an extended period of time. It's become a part of who you are. And that's what it means to become like Jesus. His word and work happens in you and transforms you from the inside out. And so let's just go back over it again before I take you to the next part of the message today. Love is not a feeling. It is an action. It is not what I feel. It is what I do. Love is not what I get. It is what I give. If you didn't write that down, I would really recommend that you do so. It's an important understanding. So let's go to the biblical definition of love. We want to find out what does love look like? What does it really, really look like? And the best place to find out where, what love looks like is in the Bible. Let's go to the Bible and let's see what this love thing, this agape is. And there's no better place, I think, in the Bible to, to find this than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And that's what's called the love chapter. Let me read it for you. I'm going to read it from two versions. Uh, read it beginning, first of all, from the New International Version. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is... I think we all ought to go home right now, correct? Okay. Love is patient. Love is, here's the definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is agape, the commitments I make based on the commandments of God, not the feelings that I feel, okay? Let me take you now to the Living Bible paraphrase. Just listen as I read this. Let this sort of soak into your heart and spirit this morning. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what's going to happen in the future, knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? Even if I had the gift of faith so I could speak to a mountain and move it, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatever. Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It doesn't hold grudges does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Never, it's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. All the special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end, but love goes on forever. Someday prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, these gifts will disappear. Now we know so little, even with our special gifts and the preaching of those most gifted is still so poor. But when we have been made perfect and complete, then the need for these inadequate special gifts will come to an end and they will disappear. It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child does. But when I became a man, my thoughts grew far beyond those of my childhood and now I put away the childish things. In the same way, we can see and understand only a little bit about God, little about God now, and if we were peering at his reflection in a poorer mirror, but someday we're going to see him in his completeness face to face. Now, all that I know is hazy and blurred, blurred, but then I will see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart right now. There are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. What I'm going to do for the next few moments is we're going to move into Bible study time. Are you ready for that? Because the Bible will change your life. There's no book like the Bible. And sometimes we just don't take time to just stop and say, what does the Bible mean when it says this? So I'm going to walk you through over the next 10 minutes. I'm going to take you through 14 characteristics of love that are described right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So that you will know what real love looks like, okay? 
you need to know, I need to know what real love looks like because I have to practice these things so I can become the person God wants me to be. If I don't know them, if I don't define it rightly, I can't practice it appropriately. So let's take time and talk about 14 characteristics. When we come to the end, I'm going to give you a challenge based upon this. The first thing the Bible says is that love is, write it down, is what? Patient. Love is patient. The word patient, I'm actually going to take you back to word studies in each of these 14 characteristics. The original Greek word means to exhibit internal and external control in difficult circumstances. It's when the going gets tough, you maintain your control. You don't lose it. When the pressure is on, you have the capacity to bear up under it instead of blowing your stack, instead of losing it in a moment. There's a patience, there's an endurance that doesn't pop off in a moment and hurt someone in a damaging way. Patient love is patient. Number two, love is kind. To be kind means willing to help or willing to assist. It actually means this, looking for opportunities to assist, looking for opportunities to engage. You can be kind in a lot of different ways. You know, sometimes the kindest act you can do in a day is to look at someone and give them a smile or to say good morning to them or it might be to open the door for someone who's elderly or to, uh, to, to, to speak a kind word to someone who's discouraged. There are all kinds of ways to be kind, but kindness says, what can I do to help you? How can I lift the burden from your life? How can I make life easier for you and so it's all about lifting burdens that's it's always all, all about assisting that's being kind number three love doesn't envy to envy means actually the the original word means to get heated on the insides to boil internally we talk about being green with envy you've heard that phrase before right being green with envy. Envy is when you're looking at what somebody else has and it causes a disturbance inside of you. Because you begin to compare what you have in life, your lot in life, or what you, uh, your, your possessions in life, your experiences in life with what someone else has, and you begin to think they have advantages over you, and before long, you're stirred up on the inside about it. And that envy creates depression and discouragement inside of you. You know, one of the biggest challenges in our world today is the challenge of social media. You know why social media is such a challenge? It's because when you get on Facebook with all of your friends and you see their lives, you have a tendency to measure your life against their life. And you're seeing all the things, all the places they're going, all the things that they're doing, all the beautiful pictures they have, which sometimes I wonder if they're even real, okay? Okay? <laughs> And before long, you're measuring yourself against that standard out there. Have you ever thought that people don't post, they only post the nicest things on Facebook, okay? And some of them actually lie about their lives. It's true. Studies have been done that people have a need to try to be, have an impressive life. And so they're only going to tell you the stuff that makes you, I mean, have you ever seen some of the dishes that people prepare, ladies, for their meals every dinner? Like, I don't know, we had like cheese sandwiches. They had all this massive like. And before long, you're judging yourself against this standard. And there's a literal, absolutely uh, quantifiable uh, psychological uh, problem that exists in our world today. It's called Facebook depression. I'm serious. It's called Facebook depression. And what I tell people is that if Facebook is depressing you, get off of it, okay? Amen? I mean, because like, what can I do to be happy? 
get off of Facebook. That's pretty simple, right? Okay. I'm not against any of that. I'm not saying if, it, I mean, if you can handle it, it's okay. It's fine. That's it's a that's what you know. And in fact, studies have been done out of all the you know you get these people with millions of friends on Facebook. Okay, the studies have been done that it doesn't matter how many friends people say they have on Facebook. Here's a secret: they ain't real. Only four. The average is only four of all the numbers of friends that you have on your profile. Only four of them are actually real friends. Now, that goes up and down with different folks, but the average is four of them are actually people that you could call on at some point in time to actually help you. Do you see the phony world that we live in at times? I mean, just the fact that we even call them friends. They're not friends. They're people that said, I like you. I like your page. Right? You know, no, it's more like this. I like you, so you'll like me, okay? So what I'm saying to you is that creates envy. And so love is not envious. Let's go to the next one. Love does not boast. It doesn't boast. To boast means to actually this word in and of itself primarily means to think more highly of yourself. It's something you carry around more internally than, you, than, than, than specifically externally, although it comes out externally. It's your attitude about yourself that you tend to think of yourself in a superior way. and you, That re- results in judgment toward other people in negative ways. The put-downs that we have in our world, all the kind of ways that people discriminate against other people on the basis of perceptions and feelings internally of themselves being superior, all of that is garbage. That's not love, okay? Number five, love isn't proud, means to inflate, to blow up. This pride often comes out in the way that we talk about ourselves, the way we promote ourselves. You know, a lot of the stuff in our world today is very oriented towards self-promotion. How can I look big? How can I look important? How can I make you think that I'm really, really something? When the reality is we're just all human beings. And so we have this need to, to inflate ourselves and inflate ourselves before others. Love, number six, doesn't dishonor. That means to behave in an indecent, unseemly, unbecoming manner toward other people. See, honor is something that every human being deserves just by the dignity of being a human being, okay? Whoever you are, there's a sense of I treat you with honor and dignity because you were made in the image of God. Now, remember this. You can honor a person without honoring their behavior, Amen? Okay. You may totally, their behavior may be totally off the charts in terms of right or wrong, or wrong, but, but you can still give a sense of appreciation to a person and value a person without affirming their behavior. And so we get this confused at times. We think that it's either all or nothing. No, you can actually treat someone nicely and absolutely totally disagree with how their life is being lived, right? And actually be right about the fact that they're living their life in a wrong way based upon the Bible. But it's an attitude that we carry in us. Number seven isn't self-seeking. Again, trying to promote or advantage yourself. Ever met a person before that as soon as they got around you, you started feeling like, I wonder what their angle is. What are they after? You just something on the inside. You just feel that they're after something. And they're not trying to get close to you to be close to you they're trying to get close to you to advance an agenda they have okay they've got some agenda they've got some business deal you know that at some point in time you're going to get that call okay they're looking for a loan or something okay there's some angle that they have that they're working and again that doesn't happen in every relationship but that's got uh, the, the scripture says don't don't live like that don't live with a self-seeking agenda in your relationships and a way to try to make or take advantage of 
uh, yourself with other people. And then number eight, love isn't easily angered, angered easily. Wow. That means you're quickly provoked, you're quickly roused to anger, you're quickly roused to irritation, to indignation, that, you know, you go from zero to 60 in half a second when it comes to your temper, okay? Love doesn't behave that way because, of course, love uh, treats people with a sense of patience and endurance. It goes to number nine, love doesn't record keep wrongs. You know, for a lot of people, they have a ledger in their heart. And every time somebody hurts them, especially somebody close to them, they add it to the ledger book as another offense. And there's, they're page after page. Some of you have got 50 years of pages, okay, of things that people have done wrong to you and you carry it around inside of you. You're not aware of it all the time. But when something comes up that triggers your memory of it, then you go back to that page in the ledger and you start listing all the offenses that that person has committed against you. And what, it, what, it, what happens is you, you, you can never get past it because you're holding on to it. You're a record keeper. You hold grudges. You hold remembrances of what people do to you wrong or hurtful way. Number 10, love does not delight in evil. Love isn't happy when someone else is hurt or when someone else is treated unjustly. You know, uh, one of the things that we are oftentimes guilty of, I say we because it's all of us, we have this tendency that even when someone hurts us and even if we don't want to hurt them, we make the choice we're not going to hurt them back, we're still kind of glad when somebody does, right? That when they get their due someday, we're kind of on the inside, yeah, I want to do that, but I'm a Christian, Okay. <laughs> Right? There's a little bit of rejoicing on the inside when somebody that hurt us gets hurt. And we delight in evil. We delight that somebody else is paying a price for something we felt like they did wrong. Number 11, love values authenticity. Love has a value of just being real, being true, being sincere. The scripture says it rejoices with the truth. There's nothing like authenticity and that love says, I just want to be authentic. I, I don't want to be phony baloney. I don't want to be superficial. I don't want to just put on a mask and try to be something. I want to be truthful. I want to have integrity with my life. It rejoices with the truth. Number 12, it always protects. Interesting word in the Greek language. It means to cover. It's the real meaning of the word. It means to cover up somebody's faults. You know what we like to do as people? We don't like to cover people's faults. What do we like to do? Expose them. Did you hear about? And get a little circle somewhere and start talking about all the faults and all the mistakes that other people have made. By the way, the Bible has a word for that. It's called gossip. Love doesn't gossip, okay? Love doesn't tear down another person by exposing their weaknesses and exposing their faults. In a damaging way. Number 13, love always trust. Always trust. Let me see if I can help you to understand that. Now, by the way, let me say this very quickly because I'm running out of time this morning. But tr always trust doesn't mean that there's some people you don't trust. Okay? Amen? Okay, let me make that clear. Because some people, I will tell you, don't ever trust them. Okay? They're not trustworthy. Okay? But if you're in a relationship with someone that you're building a relationship on 
and you're trying to work a relationship, but you can't build it without working toward trust, okay? You've got to work to build trust in the relationship. What that means is this. It means you can't get hard on the inside. Because when you begin to get hard on the inside or cynical on the inside or you let things stick to you inside that cause you to close your heart down, you can't build a relationship with someone, okay? If I'm in, in my marriage relationship, if I let things get in my heart toward Terry over a period of time and it builds up, then what will happen is I'll stop trusting her. And that doesn't mean trusting her in the sense of uh, what she will do outside of our marriage relationship. It means trusting in terms of opening myself up to her and vulnerability and connectedness and intimacy that's developed there. And so watch the hardness of your heart. See, love keeps a tender heart. It keeps your heart tender. That's what trust is all about. Think about it, the, the heart of a child. And then number 14, the last one here is that love always perseveres. That means that in a relationship, love doesn't run from the challenges. Love doesn't run from the test. It remains there. It remains under. Dear ones, let me tell you something. I want to blow out a myth today. And I'm going to use a, a, a biblical canon right now, hopefully to blow out a myth in your life. But you're going to think that relationships in your life are supposed to go smoothly all the time. No, they don't. Relationships, by nature, challenge us to grow. That's one, that's one of the reasons God allows you into relationships, because He wants you to grow. And there's some things you'll never, you'll never address in your life without being in a relationship. The issues that will come up in your life that will never come up any other place. And here's our problem. When something comes up, the tendency that we have as human beings is, oh, this hurts. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Why? Because it hurts. You hurt me. I'm out of here. And challenges rise. And the scripture says, no, love, what love does is love is based upon commitment. Love digs in and remains committed even when the pressure is on. Why? Because God uses that pressure to form in us the nature of Jesus Christ to help us to become the people that God has asked us to be. I will tell you, this next month, the, uh, the 28th, I think, 28th of May, right? I got the date right? Okay. I'm asking my wife over here. Is our anniversary. That's why I'm checking, okay? <laughs> Even the pastor has to confirm the date, okay? In 39 years, my wife and I have been married for 39 years, okay? And I will tell you that I am a better person because of who she has challenged me to become. And I think that she would say that she's a better person because who I have challenged her to become. Has it been easy? No. Can you believe that sometimes we had arguments? I know that's hard to believe. I know you think that we wear wings and halos, okay? No, okay? There have been a few times we fought like the devil, okay? Okay? We had those moments, but you know, through them, what happens is that it forms stuff, it brings stuff, it's brought stuff out of me, and it's brought stuff out of her, and it's called, but we said the one thing that we've never said in our relationship, not one time have we ever said we're going to divorce. You know why? Because we made a commitment. Does that make us perfect and great? No, I'm not saying that. And if that's come up in your life, I'm not condemning you. I'm not here to, I'm simply saying that that's the way we've lived our life, and I will say I'm a better person because she has rubbed me the wrong way. And I have rubbed her the wrong way. But the beautiful thing is that she became sandpaper that made me better. And I became sandpaper that made her better. Because we have worked together and we didn't run from the problems, okay? But see, we can't go any further in this whole relationship series 
without some foundations, right? If your whole definition of love is wrong, I can't help you out. I can't do anything for you. If your whole definition of love is wrong, if you're still, still living on the basis of this in any of your relationships, the rest of the series is going to be very little help to you. I hope you'll still come because I hope you'll start kicking in. But I'm helping you today to start to realize, let's redefine love. What is love? It is not what the world tells you it is, okay? Love is not what I feel. It is what I do. It is not what I get. It is what I give. It's not about my feelings. It's about my commitment and my response to God's command. Now, last thing, we're done. But here's the challenge. 14 characteristics of love. So for the next two weeks, I want you to join me in taking one characteristic of love a day and focusing your attention. Monday morning, we're going to look at it. All day Monday, our focus is going to be on love is patient, which means you're going to be tried on Monday, okay? And what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to provide for you every day a, a, a devotional, just a really short devotional, just some thoughts about just to get you going in the process. So you'll think about, well, what does it mean? Love is patient. So every day you can log on to church-redeemer.org and it'll be there for you. You can go to daleoshields.com. It'll be there for you. You can follow us on Twitter. You can go to Facebook. Okay. For those of you that will still be on Facebook after today. Okay. It'll be there for you, but every day for 14 days, we're going to focus in on one characteristic of love. Why? Because we need to learn what the Bible says about love. Now, I'm going to ask you in a few moments to accept the challenge. I'm not going to ask you now, so I'm going to ask you in a moment to accept the challenge. So be ready for my, my moment of response in just a bit. But right now, let's all pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity across our campuses today of studying your word. We're grateful that you're speaking to us. Thank you for the word of God that's alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It comes into us and challenges us and changes us. Do a work in us today, we pray. Teach us to love, we ask in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.